0: 2 Samuel uh, chapter 17, we're looking at the entire chapter uh, uh, together this evening, so let us uh, begin reading there at verse uh, number 1 as we go down all the way through verse uh, 29. 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And Absalom said, Call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war, he will not spend the night with his people, with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place, and as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, the archai, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore, sin quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over. Lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them, told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Behurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it. Nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now after they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. And David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off to his own city, home. He set his house in order and hung himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruhai, Joab's mother, and Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanahem, Shobai, the son of Nahash from Rabah of the Ammonites, and Macher, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogelum, brought beds basins and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from the herd, for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Well, King David is on the run. His son Absalom stole the hearts of Israel and usurped David's throne. When we left chapter 16, we see Ahithophel, King David's one time closest advisor, but has since defected and pledged his loyalty to Absalom. We see this man, Ahithophel, encouraging Absalom to make himself at home in Jerusalem through a crude ancient Middle Eastern practice of taking another king's concubines. You can go back and read that. Uh, for yourself. Uh, But this is where we are. And one of the questions we need to remind ourselves of as we continue through this narrative is how will the promise of God, uh, the promise that God's kingdom will be established forever through the throne of David, how is that promise going to be fulfilled? Especially considering David's throne has now been usurped and he's once again running for his life. The question remains, can we still count on the covenant promise that God made? Can we count on the covenant promises that God makes even to us when the difficult circumstances around us are dark and dreadful and Hard to even see how His promised plans are going to be fulfilled. Before we go any further, I, I want us to allow Proverbs nineteen twenty one to settle into our hearts. I'm going to read it for you because it's very important that we grasp it in our efforts to answer the question of whether or not we can still count on the providence of God or rather the, the promises of God. Can we still Count on the covenant promises of God when the circumstances around us doesn't seem too promising. Well, Proverbs 19.21 says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In other words, the only plan that really matters is God's plan. There are many plans in our minds, many ideas that we come up with, but the only plan that really matters is God's plan. For even the most impressive of human plans are still unreliable. God's plans, however, are sure. They are steadfast. And they should always be taken seriously because He will fulfill all that He has promised. He will bring to fruition all of His ordained purposes. It's important that we are reminded of that when we come to a story, a scene like we have before us David on the run, Absalom usurping the throne. Is it all going to end here? Is God's promise really going to be fulfilled? Now, I don't know how to outline 2 Samuel chapter 17. I've tried, I know that's not something someone like me should probably confess. Maybe it would have even been better to borrow someone else's outline than to admit that I don't know how to outline the chapter myself, but it is what it is. The the only thing that gave me peace of mind in my study was to write down one word for every scene in this chapter, and hopefully through these words we can ride the wave of the chapter while focusing on the undercurrent of the main message And the undercurrent of the main message here in 2 Samuel 17 is that God's plan is the only plan that really matters. God's plan is the only plan that really matters. So here's the first word in the first scene. The first word I wrote down is courage. Courage. I wrote down courage because of what happens between Ahithophel, Absalom's chief advisor and Hushai, David's spy, and Absalom's court. Verse 1 begins by telling us that after Absalom makes himself at home in Jerusalem and uh, participates in that crude act with David's concubines, Ahithophel comes to him and decides to give him some advice about how to move forward. Now Ahithophel was a legend in his own time. Back in chapter 16 and verse 23 it says that in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. All the counsel of Ahithophel was esteemed. Everything that Ahithophel said was taken as if it was the word of God itself. So this is not someone detached from your situation and context, randomly walking up to you and choosing to give you their unsolicited opinions. We all have people like that in experiences. That's not Ahithophel. No, Ahithophel was considered the wisest counselor of his day. All the advice that he gave was good advice. And since he has defected from David, he's now working for Absalom. It is now his responsibility to give all of that wise counsel and good advice to the one who has usurped David's throne. So in verses 1 through 4, he shares a plan with Absalom. Here's the plan. Look at verse 1. Here's the first thing he says. Let me, this is Ahithophel to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men. Now, you have to follow the sequence of his counsel. Here's what he's saying. I will lead. I will lead a large contingency of troops. All right? That's the first thing he says. Let me get 12,000 men together. Then he continues. I will arise and pursue David tonight. All right? I will lead a large contingency of troops, and I will lead this armory immediately, immediately. Look at verse 2. He then says, I, again, the emphasis here that I'm trying to make to you is Ahithophel is putting himself in the lead spot. I will choose 12 men. I will lead 12,000 men. I will lead this large contingency of troops. I will go out immediately. Verse three or Verse 2, I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. In other words, it will catch him and his men completely off guard. This is what I'm going to do. And I want you to know, as he continues, I will strike down only the king. So so the panic will allow me to get to David, and it's only David that I'm going to take. But I'm going to kill him. And what am I going to do with everybody else? Verse 3, I'm going to bring all the people back to you, Absalom. I'll bring everyone else back to you for you to rule over them. Now, this was Ahithophel's advice, his counsel to Absalom. And let me tell you, this may surprise you, but this was really good advice. Really good advice. It was a good military strategy. Move quickly while David and his men are malnourished. While they have no place to go. Let's go immediately. Let's go right now. We'll take him out. We don't need to kill everybody else. That's only bounty for us. We'll just wipe out David because he's the only one that you're concerned about anyway. And we got to do it right now. This is the opportunity. Time, but we have to move immediately. And Absalom, don't worry. Heathhoph says, I'm gonna take care of all of it. I'm gonna take care of all of it. And verse four says, and the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. They liked it. Good idea, Ahithophel. But then we get to verse five and we see Absalom do something strange. In verse five it says that then Absalom said, Hey, Call Hushai, the archite, also. Let's hear what he has to say about the situation. Now, the question is, why did he do this? Now, church, there is a reason. And we're going to read that reason momentarily. But let's first remember who Hushai is. He's He's a double agent. He's a spy in Absalom's court. He's he's there for one reason, and that one reason is to protect King David. And Absalom has no clue because Hushai is really good at what he does. He's convinced Absalom that he's there on uh, on his behalf. So much so that Absalom thinks to reach out to Hushai of all people and bring him into the court to seek his advice, even when Ahithophel's advice... Seemed pretty pleasant. So Absalom shares with him the advice that Ahithophel gave and proceeded to ask him what he thought about it. And this is why I wrote down the word courage. Because it took extreme courage on Hushai's part to say what he said next. Look at it there in verse 7. This time, now I love that, because he wants us to understand that, you know what, Ahithophel is the master of counselors. He, he's really good at what he does. But this time, this time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given, is, it's not good. It's not good. And here's what Hushai does. Remember, he's a double agent. He's a double agent. And what he does here is he proceeds to flatter Absalom by giving him advice that would appeal to Absalom's pride, all right? Ahithophel gave good advice in terms of military strategy. What we're going to discover here in just a moment that Hushai's advice is not good military strategy. But he chooses his words carefully. And the language that he uses appeals to the narcissistic mind and heart of Absalom. And here's how he begins it. Look at verse 8. Hushai says to Absalom, look at it there. You... Know your father and his men are mighty. You see what he does here at the very beginning? He puts the emphasis on Absalom. Yes, Absalom the narcissist who likes when it's put on him. He says, you know your father. And this is good. Because what was it that Ahithophel was saying? I will do this. I will do that. I will go there. I will kill David. I will lead the troops. I will bring everybody back. So through flattery of language, Hushai is communicating to Absalom, Hey, nobody knows your father like you do. Not even Ahithophel. No, nobody knows your father like you. No one can really accomplish this but you. He continues. You know they're not weary. You know they're not discouraged. They're enraged. And you know that they're experts in war. We can't surprise them, no doubt. He's already hiding in a cave somewhere waiting to surprise you. And when he does and others start to hear that some of your own men have fallen, then the rest of the men are going to defect and go back to David and give their loyalty to him. And then we're all going to be out. So here's what Hushai recommended. Verse 11. All Israel should be gathered to you, Absalom. You're the only one fit to do this. Not Ahithophel. No, no. You need to lead, Absalom. And you need a bigger army than what Ahithophel has suggested. You need an army so big that it's going to be like the sand of the sea. And if we do this right, Absalom... David's not going to ambush him. No, no, no. We're going to take such a massive army that we will overtake him and everyone who has sided with him. And he even says here, unlike Ahithophel's advice, to only kill David, Hushai says, and of David and all the men with him, not one will be left. Okay. So what's unstated in this plan, in this dialogue that you've probably already figured out? Is that Hushai's plan would take just a little bit longer to put together? We're talking about more men and more troops. All of it would just take more time, but that's purposeful. Hushai gave that advice for a reason because he knows he needs more time to communicate to David that Absalom is coming. So so in terms of strategy, this is not good advice. In fact, there's very little military strategy to it. You just want to get a whole lot more people and march right up down to the valley and find him and kill him, and that's what you think you're going to do. And by the way, it's going to take a whole lot more time to put this plan together, and the longer you wait, the more organized David can get than he is even now. But for some reason, as bad as the advice was, Absalom buys it. Verse 14, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Not even the narrator acknowledges that. In fact, he'll later say in verse 16 that Ahithophel's counsel was actually good counsel. But here's why Absalom requested the advice of Hushai. And here's why Hushai's counsel was received more than Ahithophel's. Look at verse 14. Here's why. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. There it is. There's the reason why Hushai is even called in the first place. Here's the reason why Absalom buys in to this terrible plan of Hushai's uh, above the good military plan of Ahithophel. The reason is, is because this is the plan of God. I take us back again to Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in the minds of a man, but the plans of God will prevail. Ahithophel had good plans, but the plans of God will prevail. This is another biblical reminder of the awesome and absolute sovereignty of God. Absolutely nothing is outside of God's control. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. The Lord had ordained this to happen. This is providence. This is God at work. Because nothing can frustrate the sovereign purposes of God. Nothing. It's hard for us at times to understand how God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together that that God sovereignly controls all things while at the same time we are held accountable for our decisions God sovereignly orchestrated the betrayal of Judas, while at the same time, Judas was held responsible for his actions. God orchestrated all this with Absalom and Ahithophel. But at the same time, Absalom and Ahithophel will be held responsible for their choices. We struggle reconciling that, don't we? Well, let me say, the fact that our minds fail to comprehend it is besides the point. which is also a part of God's sovereignty. God has sovereignly chosen for His thoughts to be way ahead of our thoughts, for His ways to be above our ways. And He has not willed for us to fully grasp how that He works out His sovereign purposes within the scope of our wills and responsibilities. But we do know is that God is at work within the acts of our personal freedom. He is sovereignly at work within our own personal decisions, within our own personal choices, within our own personal actions, that even in the decisions that we made today, God is sovereignly at work in all of those things even in our inability to figure it all out, we have to rest confidently in the Bible fact that all the events of this world, whether they are big events or small events, whether they're significant or seemingly meaningless, every event in this world is under the sovereign control of God. Every event of your life is under the sovereign control of God. Everything that happened to you today Happened because God ordained it so. And that's why the only plan that really matters is the plan of God. It's the plan of God. So, this is quite a bit of courage on Hushai's part. I wrote down another word. We go to another scene, verses 15 through 22. It's the word Intel, Intel, not the processor. Uh, but the information, as soon as the plan was confirmed, Hushai went to work on getting the news to David. Now, he needed Absalom to delay, but he quickly went to work to try to tell David what was going on. He tells the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, what's going on, and they send a female servant to Enrogel in order for her to tell two messengers by the name of Jonathan and Ahimaaz, who were already stationed in this city in case something like this would happen. So, it was their job to get the news from the priest and then take that to David and deliver the message as they were supposed to do here. But in the process, we, we learn that an Absalom sympathizer discovers these two servants coming in and out of the city of Enrogel. And he decides to, to tell Absalom. And so, while Absalom sends people to find them, a supporter of David chooses to hide. These two servants of all places in a well until the coast was clear. You see, the, the drama's building up. The suspense is here. And, and, and I wish we had more time to just walk through it, but we just don't. This is, this is just insight to how all this went down. It wasn't as simple as, uh, as uh, Hushai sending a message. There was no email, no text message, all right? There's a, there's a lot going on here. A female servant goes to this city, and in the city they're discovered by Absalom's people. What are they going to do? If they get found out, they could die. The plan could fall apart. David could get killed. So they they hide in a well, and the well gets covered up by the top, and uh, barley's put over top of it so the people wouldn't see it. And through much suspense we see here that they finally make it, they're not caught, Absalom's People couldn't find them, and so they, they escaped. They, they finally made it to where David was and where he was located, and they, they tell him everything. And as soon as they tell him everything, verse 22 says, that David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. All right? Plan succeeded. They got to David in enough time. He crossed over the Jordan. He got ahead of what would be Absalom's army. So... We continue to see the sovereign providence of God at work here, don't we? God not only protected these messengers, but he ensured that the message would get to David. For once again, the only plan that really matters is the plan of God. We have to get that in our hearts. The only plan that really matters is God's plan. So we have courage. We have intel. Right now, number three, we have tragedy, tragedy. This is verse 23. All of a sudden, out of the blue, we are given an obituary of Ahithophel. The writer doesn't spend any time on this other than to state it as a fact. So it's hard for us to even make sense of it. And perhaps we're not necessarily meant to make sense of it. All we know is that Ahithophel tragically took his own life when he saw that his counsel had not been followed. Well, there's various theories as to why he may have done this, and guess what? I have a theory, but I'm not going to share that with you. If you want to know, ask me later. I'll tell you my theory of why I think perhaps he did this. But the point should at least be made, and listen carefully, Ahithophel lifted up his hand against God's appointed king, and he serves as a reminder that you cannot Attack the kingdom of God without sooner or later being crushed by the power of God. That's the reminder. You cannot attack the kingdom of God and God's anointed without sooner or later being crushed yourself by God's power. It was true of Ahithophel, and the paris- parallels are striking when we think about Jesus and Judas. It's a tragedy. And that's all that's said. Uh, The fourth word I wrote down here in the next scene is rejection. Rejection. This is verses 24 through 26. And what these verses do is they set up the battle scene that we will come to next week in chapter 18. But this set of verses speak of something more significant than a simple battle plan. What we have here is David and his men in Mahanahem, while Absalom and the rest of Israel were encamped in Gilead. So, So the scene that we're supposed to get in our minds here is that once again, the unity of God's people are divided. This nation is divided. You have Absalom, who has rebelled against God's anointed, usurped his throne, is trying to take it over himself with the majority of Israel, and you have God's anointed, though not a perfect man, is still God's man, running for his life with a small contingency of people on the north side. They're separated, and they're getting ready to go to battle at one another. It's been shattered. That is their unity. And for what reason? The reason that the unity of this nation is once again shattered is because of the rejection of the Lord's anointed king. That's the reason why we're in this whole mess. It's because there was a son who convinced a whole lot of people to reject God's anointed, to resist God's anointed. We don't want the king that God has chosen. And now there is disunity. There's no peace War is ensuing, and it all comes down to this word, rejection. We are rejecting God's will. We are rejecting God's man. We are rejecting God's choices over our life. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because the peace of any human heart, the peace of any marriage, the peace of any family, the peace of any group of people, any church, that... Peace will be shattered when God's anointed king is rejected. You'll not live your life with peace while rejecting God's anointed king. Your marriage will not have peace if in your marriage you're rejecting God's anointed king. This is the message here. A nation is divided. Yes, they're getting ready to go to war, but let's look at why they're getting ready to go to war. Because God's plan was rejected. So we have courage, we have intel, we have tragedy, we have rejection. Let me give you one last final word and one final scene. It's the word blessings, blessings verses 27 through 29. So one more time, the scene shifts. That's why it was so hard to outline this chapter because we're just bouncing all over the place and it's hard to even feel the flow until we step back and see again that everything that's happening here is because God ordained it to be. The camera focuses again back on David's camp and here we find three interesting sources of blessings that came to David. David. Now, what the blessings are, are clear. We have beds, we have pottery, we have food, even sheep, cheese. But but check out who these blessings came from. He mentions three men who bring these blessings to David and his military. There's first Shobai, the Ammonite. Now, what's interesting about Shobai is he he had a brother. His brother's name was Hanan. Hanan, if you'll remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 10, was the one who despised the kindness of King David, which led to a terrible war. But now it appears that Hanan's brother is a supporter of David. He's a pagan. He's not even of the Jewish family. But he's coming to support the king of Israel. There's a second man here, Macker. Macker, according to 2 Samuel chapter 9, was once a loyalist to King Saul. He fought for Saul. He stood with Saul. But now, now he has turned his allegiances to King David. And then the best that I can say, this gentleman's name, Barzillai. What we know about him will not come until chapter 19. We find out that he's a very old and wealthy man who was devoted to David's kingship. Now, when I read about who these men were and what they're doing, hasn't it been interesting that the past several chapters, we've seen a lot of David's loyal friends. The interesting here is how diverse they are. This is a diverse group of David's loyal friends. I couldn't help but think about the perfect king and his diverse group of loyal friends. The twelve whom he called. Different backgrounds. Pagan backgrounds. Sinful backgrounds. Yet these were the men who were loyal to Jesus. It's who his church is made up of today. It's what we see here with King David. And this particular group is a tremendous blessing to David because they provide for his needs and the needs of his men. They're going to give them rest. They're going to give them strength. They're going to give them the restoration that they need for the battle that lay ahead. And, of course, we need not neglect to acknowledge just how these blessings came to David. How did it happen? How did it happen? By the plan of God. The plan of God. For God, in His sovereign purposes, takes care of all our needs. Church family, God is involved in every detail of your life. The beds, the pottery, the sheep, the cheese. He's in it all. And that's what the message is, what seems to be an array of events, a shifting of scenes. What in the world are we supposed to take home from this? We're supposed to take home that when we see this random purging of events, what's really happening, what's really happening is the ordained plan of God seeking to fulfill His purposes, meeting every need that we have in our life. Is there a psalm that comes to mind that the events of 2 Samuel chapter 17 might remind you of? A psalm that David very well might have written in reflection of this journey in 2 Samuel 17? Is there one? Well, let me read the one to you that comes to my mind Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David wrote. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've brought me pottery and food and cheese and beds. You've anointed my head with oil. You've kept me the king. My cup overflows. Surely it is goodness and mercy that will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It very well may be that David wrote Psalm 23 in reflection of these valleys of death that he was walking through. Seeing just how it was that God was providentially and sovereignly providing for every need of his life. That's because the only plan that really matters is the plan of God. That's the only plan that matters. Many are our plans. But the plan that is reliable, the plan that is sure, the plan that will come to pass is the plan that God has ordained for us. So we trust Him. We rejoice in the things that he provides for us. We stand back in amazement at the things that transpires that doesn't just, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How could this happen? How is it that you would take Hushai's advice over Ahithophel's? Because God ordained it to be so. There is no such thing, Christian, as accident. There is only providence. It is the providence of God. And may we get our plans in tune with His plans. Because His plans are the only plans that matter. Let's stand together for prayer.